HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Firesider, a health tonic based on the traditional New England cure-all of raw apple cider vinegar and honey. For more information, visit firesider.com. This is Sherry Bayer from All in the Industry. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes.
And that was just a song from Guru, who are going to be coming up later in the show playing live. I am one half your host of Snacky Tunes, Darren Bresnitz, coming at you from sunny, we'll say sunny. It's pretty sunny. Gorgeous sunny LA yeah. in January. I got Jacob Lehman, food photographer, cocktail photographer. Yep. Uh, Ex-Orthodox Jew, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's always in the bio. That's always in the bio. I mean, that is a good talking point. I, yeah, I feel like it, it's definitely formed kind of my, my like, history with food a lot. And just, you know, it was, I had this really limited experience as far as what I could eat for a chunk of my life. And then left that world, and all of a sudden I was taking photos of the, all these restaurants in New York for a time out in New York and now in LA and it's like completely different. It's a whole new world. How often does it come up? Uh, do you, are you ever out there taking food and photography and things like that? And you have a twinge of like the old Kashrut laws? Um, not really. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you sort of got to just like, I mean, it's really, you got to put that away. You're yeah. Like, what I, was this plate? What was on this plate before? I just had to do a clean break. And I, I think when I when I left that that lifestyle I kinda made a decision. I was like, I'm not gonna ease out of it. I'm just gonna you know, break it off, especially as far as cash route and, and keeping kosher. And every now and then I you know, I have friends who are, are still kosher and um be like, Oh right, you know, two sets of dishes. Right, so right, right. Dishwasher sometimes. I forgot about the two dishwashers. So let's dial it back. So yeah. You grew up where? I grew up in Alabama. Okay. Alabama, deep yeah. south. Yep. Mother but, cook, father cook, grandma cook? Uh, mom cooked. Was a, a really great cook. Type um, of food? Comfort food. It was... Uh, deep south Jewish people. Yeah, kind of. My, kind of. So it's, There's pockets. I mean, I used yeah. to go to, like, sleepaway Jewish camp, and we had, there was a couple of, like, southern kids. Right, yeah. So there, <laughs> there are big communities, yeah. especially in Atlanta. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I grew up maybe like 30 miles south of Birmingham in the country. My mom is Jewish from from Queens. My dad is not Jewish. Doesn't matter. Alabama. Mom's Jewish. That yeah, doesn't so matter. I'm, I'm in. I'm good. You're in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I was ra- we were raised Christian knowing we were Jewish. I had two older brothers. Sure. And then later kind of picked up the, the Orthodox thread. And is Yeshiva, that's what got you north? Uh, yeah, I had started school in Birmingham, Okay. then lived in Israel for a year, at, was at a yeshiva there, and um, that kind of ignited the flame, as it were, and then mm. went back to Alabama, I was like, I don't, I don't want to be here, went to, to New York. New to York, yeshiva. that great beacon of like, yeah. I don't fit in, I'm going to New York. Right. For everyone in America. Yeah. Um, and what year was this? This was uh, beginning in 2007 is when I moved to New York. Okay, so this is like pre-Instagram, pre-food yeah. like photography of like what it is. I mean, there was food photography, but it wasn't, you know, I'm going to become famous because I have my cell phone and I can take a photo of right. food. Right, yeah. So how did you get, I mean, were you, were you always shooting? Did you always have a Were you like the high school, college kid that always had the camera? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. I, I had inherited a camera when I was younger and just really took to it. In high school, was was on the newspaper as the photographer, and I think that was really formative for me. But then I, I never really thought I would do anything with it. You're trying to tell stories through your photographs, things like that? Yeah, and but I was, you know, just mostly playing around, learning, learning things wherever I could from whomever I could, um, and just... Always, always saw it ultimately as a hobby. Isn't it awesome when your hobbies turn into your real life? <laughs> it really is. So it's 2007. You're in New York. Do you remember your first food assignment? Um, I do actually. I so I didn't start shooting food actually until about 2011. Is so that. What were you doing those first four years? I was I was at. YU at Yeshiva um, and was studying psychology with the plan of, you know, getting a doctorate and being Man, a clinician. You, your background, if, <laughs> I'm sure that if you laid your background out and you put five different profession choices and food photographer was one, I don't think anyone would pick it. 
Yeah, the 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 trajectory has been has been a little wonky. So anyway, so you're, fun. you're studying psychology. Yeah, studying psychology, and then I graduated. I was working in psychiatric research and applying to grad schools. I had applied to a bunch, and then just withdrew my applications. Like I'm not, I really don't want to go back to school yeah. right now. So I I had about a year where I had left that job was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Always thought I would go back to psychology and like clinical work. And in that time, just applied for a, a photo internship at Time Out New York to kind of, you know, fill some of my days. And was the uh, our favorite Jordana Rothman there? She was. Shout yeah. out to JR. Yeah. Uh, Jordana was, was actually insanely supportive, especially of my food photography. And I had never I'd never taken photos of food before I got there. And it, um, one of the great things about that internship was we were shooting for the magazine as unpaid interns, which was huge. It was, it was really, it was so beneficial. I think it was mutually beneficial, probably. Oh, no, totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's legal anymore. You know, nobody's doing it. And the amazing thing about that internship was I was out of college. Like, I wasn't getting credit for it. Oh, yeah. And, but... Like, no doubt about it, I would not be where I am today had I not had that opportunity. I mean, that is that, like, doesn't happen anymore, insanely illegal stuff that, like, helps, that help people start their careers. Yeah, it was, it was the right, right time. Right right time, right place. Yeah. So what was the first assignment? I think it was a Greek restaurant. Okay. The, like, the Upper East Side. All right. And... You know, I just had no idea what I was doing. Went yeah. out. I think on one of my first shoots, I like forgot to take a battery with me and had to go rent one from one of the like camera shops in town. Just take the cross down to B and H, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Luckily, the timeout office is just a few blocks. I know. Away. I know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I just started, you know, taking these photos and paying attention to what other photographers who were shooting the reviews for the magazine were doing trying to to like learn from that and you know bring my photos up to the same level was there a learning i mean did anyone notice that you didn't know what you were doing uh if if they did they were kind enough not to say anything it's which, like that moment in that like comedy where it's super tense and you're sweating and they go oh these are great and you're right. like Whoosh. yeah uh so you're shooting at the greek restaurant and um I feel like everyone has this dream that you're the food photographer and you get to eat all this food. And especially as an intern, I'm sure you're like, this is great. Like, I'm going to eat these amazing meals that I can't afford. Like, how much free food were you getting at the time? Um, it's it's a really funny thing because like, it comes up a lot. People are like, oh, you must like eat amazing yeah. food all the time. And I definitely am fortunate enough to. But I can... I can it's, I can never tell when a place is going to offer and be like, here, you know, you should, you should have this. What do they do with it? Uh, sometimes they'll just take it to the back or All right. occasionally, like some people have started eating it like while I was there, which I mean, it's like, I, I always try to go in never assuming that I'm yeah. going to get free food because that's, you know, not why I'm there. No. But I, I have been known to like book a bunch of shoots in a day and then not eat lunch and be like. One of them is going to feed me what at some point. And then they don't. And I'm, you know, just like hungry and cranky by the end of the day. That's, that's some like sort of like purgatory hell thing where it's just like, all right, five restaurants, I'm hungry. One of them's got to feed me. Yeah. Who's, who's going to do it? We got, we got tacos, we got burgers coming up. Um, and so when you think back on your time in New York, like what was one of, what was the defining shoot as you were getting your start when you're like, this is what I'm doing. Where it goes, like, I want to shoot food. I want to make a, a career of it. That's a really good question. I, I don't know if I had a defining shoot. I, uh, I'm sorry. I know I said no hard-hitting <laughs> questions, but I think I just hit a little... We'll yeah, call that a medium. We're talk about we'll call that a medium. Yeah, we're probably talking to Alfie. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, and this is this has honestly been true for a lot of my life, and it, it's a disappointing answer, but I, I don't have a lot of kind of aha moments like there wasn't a moment where yeah. I was like I'm going to become an orthodox Jew and then start living that way and there, there wasn't a moment where I had this revelatory experience as a food photographer I, I think I just it became apparent after a while where I was like you know this is something I enjoy doing it's 
it's a really pleasant experience for me. I have an easier time shooting food than I do with people, for example. And, um, you know, I'd like to explore this some more. And then at a certain point, you know, I'd always been told should definitely, as a photographer, find a niche and a speciality. Yeah. And I, I felt like I had gotten to a point where I had enough photos in my portfolio to call myself a food photographer. There you go. And Build so it that up. Was it. Yeah. Um, awesome. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about your move to L.A. and uh, taking a chill on overhead yeah. shots of oh, food. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's my go-to. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's mine. It's... Instagram's go-to. I know. And it, the, the, the amazing thing is that they always look good, but this, everybody's you, doing it. Everybody's got to do it. Um, all right, this is a song from Slam Donahue. It's called I Turn On uh, Live on Snacky Tunes. Food photographer, ex Orthodox, ex Orthodox Jew, uh, ex lover of Taco Bell, still lover of Taco Bell. Uh, you know, I I haven't actually had it since since before I became Orthodox. It's funny I, that you like cut being kosher, and you're like, I still don't need to go back to Taco Bell. Yeah, I, at this point, it's become this thing where like I have like a ten year long streak. Oh yeah, you don't yeah, break like, it. Do I? Yeah, but then here's the thing: tastes exactly the same. It tastes literally like that's that's the magic of that. Right, but that, and that's the thing is there there are restaurants in LA that I love and there are dishes that I, yeah. I really adore, and I have gone back for the second or third time, and it's not always as great as that first time. Taco but Bell. I, I know that Taco Bell is gonna be okay. exactly the, as I remember it. So, Taco Bell tastes exactly the same, but I imagine with you becoming a food photographer, you're like I don't want to say like like snot, but like. Like oh, totally. total snob. Okay, yeah. fine. Let's say it's not, but like your taste has been elevated. So like what you remember from ten years ago, like Taco Bell being great. I wonder if you went back and been like, what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I so you know I don't want to I don't want to like you know kick that bear. I'll just no. let it lie. No. 
So you're shooting in L.A. I mean, so you're shooting in New York. Yeah. You do it. You're going around. You, this is your career. Um, and then, you know, more and more people are shooting food in New York. Do you feel like, like it gets a little too, the waters get a little too crowded and you start looking L.A.? Or like what, what made you jump from like the New York food scene, which is arguably like one of the most innovative food scenes in the world? Um, but also the most competitive right. to bring you out to LA. Yeah, I felt like when I was in New York, I I never felt I would say fully established. Mm. As, and I, I had made a lot of a lot of great contacts in the community there, um, but it I, I wouldn't my my competition wasn't really you know against heavy hitters. Um, but I was, I ended up working at Time Out New York mm-hmm. in the photo department, and they were looking to launch a Los Angeles website. Mm. So I had talked to them about, they were looking for a photo editor, and I was like, you know what, I'll do it. I, yeah, I'll do it. I, Head west, right? Yeah, I knew nothing about L.A. And had but, you ever spent any time out here? I came for like a week when I was in high school. But you had known that the food scene had started to grow. I didn't. I had I had no clue. What sorry, and what year again with this? This was the middle of 2012. Okay, so there was enough animals around. Roy Choi was doing his thing. Yeah. 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 I, mean, it, I mean, it's it not like it is now. now. Right, And which I think I, I came at this crazy time where since yeah. I've come, it's just right place, right time to twice. Explode. Yeah. I mean, I, I could probably, you could probably track the food industry in LA through just like grand central market. Oh yeah. It's, it's development since I moved here has been this explosion. And I, I feel like that's across the board. Los and it's Angeles. funny because now you have New Yorkers like Sarah Kramer there who is a glassery yeah. now doing her falafel stand. Yeah. It's, I, I feel like New York is, or, LA is is really on it's New York's radar now, and and really the rest of the country. One hundred percent, I think so too. I mean, as someone who just moved, right. <laughs> moved yeah, here, exactly. But you know, it's I, I think uh, the two things that probably brought a lot of New Yorkers out here has been Uber, yeah, and the development of the food scene. Yeah, and those two have, have played really nicely together. So nicely together, and, you know, and then you later, and also. Just the cocktail scene, which oh, is... Oh, yeah. Now, you shoot cocktails as well. I do, yeah. And Alex Day is out here, too, from Death & Co. Right, from yeah. Normandy. He's over in Normandy, right? I think so. I'm not... Don't kill me, Alex. Sure. Yeah. Don't kill me if I got that wrong. Um, but, yeah, but, I mean, I think that, I think Uber is a great example of it, where it's just, like, I don't have to drive. I can go to... I can live on the east side, go to a restaurant on the west side, completely imbibe, completely yeah. eat, have a great meal, and then just call an Uber home. Yeah, it, it streams, streamlines the whole process. Now, do you find that you have become, like, a bigger fish in the LAC because you were here, like, at this new... I mean, the last three or four years for the LA food team have been explosive. And do you feel like you've been, like, the go-to photographer guy? I mean, you were at Gorilla this morning shooting. Right, yeah. And so a lot of a lot of the, the work that I do, and another thing that has kind of helped me navigate the food scene is... is working for Time Out LA because I that that is my Calling excuse card. to yeah. to visit and that's that's how I've gotten to know the city so well by just exploring all these amazing restaurants for stories. And through that I, I felt like I had definitely developed more as a photographer and kind of I, I have more rapport with with chefs and, you know, bartenders and also, like, the PR reps around. Oh, yeah. Now, I can ask you a name favorites. You don't have to if you don't want. But, like, so many restaurants, so many new restaurants. Like, what brings you back beyond just, you know, you go out, you shoot there. Maybe they feed you. Maybe they don't. Right. Yeah. But, like, what brings you back? Like, what what's, like, you know, that says I'm going to go now spend my money there? Um, I think there, there are a lot of things that, that will bring me back. Definitely, definitely the food uh, is is gonna always be the biggest. Um, but coming in as I do, and and as not a customer or consumer, but I'm I'm still interacting with the staff. Like I I am really drawn to places where there's just kind of a, a genial spirit. Like I I think there's this this subtle or growing trend of restaurants and bars just being known for. Like the staff being kind of cold or detached, yeah. 
And I can think of one. I'll tell you. Yeah. I, uh, off off tape, I'll tell you the one that's coming to mind. Cool. Yeah, I'll tell you the three or four that are on yeah. my mind. Um, and it's just like it's just not for me. Like it's yeah. not the kind of experience that I think is really like helps. You know, yeah. the dining kind of dining out. Um, but ultimately, if it's really going to be the food that. Yeah. I mean. Good food. It's got to be awesome food to bring me back, and then right. you get to service and things like yeah. that. But I'll, I'll like always. Service will always be a talking point. Yeah. I, I think, and I, I notice that with a lot of people that I talk to, that they they really appreciate good service, and it's not it's not being pampered to. It's, no, it's just being you know have being able to have a conversation and and enjoy your your time there. I mean, I think I can understand an off night from a kitchen yeah i can understand but like bad service i just can't i have no i have no leniency for that yeah um all right so let's talk food tips of shooting photography shooting food things like that um now what do you look for when you're shooting a plate of food cocktail are you going natural light like what you know because people i mean i know that my lovely fiance has helped me shoot better food photography like food photographs like i and i because sometimes i go i i try and move away from the top over down like i'll do like the side and she's just like no it's gotta be top it's gotta be um a great layout and i i've seen with her help like you know my likes i mean i you know if you're judging it by likes it's like i mean we have an instant meter to know like yeah we're doing good like does this photo do well okay yeah and you're not really like a being it like on this you're just picking one and going but you know, if you're saying everyone shoots over the top or things like that, like, how do you, what are the tips for improving Instagram food photos or drinks photos? Oh, man. For Instagram, I wish I knew. I feel like that's, Fine. that's, a, Forget that's it. a whole other that's, that's You know what? Yeah. That's just me asking. <laughs> Ignore me. I'll ask you after. But, like, what makes a good food photograph? Like, you know, is it just, like, natural light? Is it setting? Is it, you know, what are you looking for? Uh, for, for me, I think it can really be a mix of things. And it it's kind of knowing the dish and also like playing playing for for that dish in that restaurant um Interesting. i i use i alternate between natural light and kind of a, a single light setup i usually take a like a beauty dish with me that i i use to shoot a lot of food and so you bring your own drinks. plates and everything no uh so the beauty dish is like a, a light modifier oh, 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 shoots, oh. shoots the flash into it just kind of spreads it out real nice um so I'll, I'll go into a place and kind of check out the window situation. You know, usually that's a great place to set up to get the best light. Um, I, I'm usually there when it's kind of off hours. Of course. So I can, I can ask them, be like, you know, can we turn the lights down and like, kind of manipulate things a little bit. And do you, prefer, do you prefer morning off hours or like afternoon off hours? Like what, do you, what type of light are you looking for for help? Um, that... For me, I, I doesn't affect me so much because there there's so many different factors as far as like where the window is facing and what time of day it is. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that can kind of come into play. I feel like afternoon is usually a good time to come in because they're not rushing for for like the lunch uh, lunch hour and there's a little bit of downtime before dinner. So like the best time I find just to make everything go smooth is before, before, like after lunch, before it gets really busy again. And how much time are they giving you to shoot? Like, I mean, you're on the clock, right? Yeah. Like you're like, you're in and you're out. You're not. Yeah. And I, I, I try to shoot, I try to like streamline the process as much as possible. And I, I think I, I shoot fairly quickly for like, um, from what I'm told, (laughs) I, I usually spend like, 30, 45 minutes in a, in a restaurant or a bar. And a lot of that will really depend on, on the kitchen. And, and how many dishes, prep. how many, sh- how many different plates are you getting out? Are you uh, shooting? Maybe like four or five. That's good. I mean, that's about sort of what you need. And you go in and the editors are just like, we need these four dishes, five dishes. Yeah. Right? So I, I have, I'll have a shot list. Um, and that's, you know, for shooting reviews for the, the website or if I, if like a restaurant hires me to come in and shoot for their their own site or social media, then I'll, I'll have a little more time to mm. kind of 
play around and, and try try different options for them. Wow. And the top down is, you know, it's always going to be I, one of them. I mean, top down, but I mean, like, I mean, you're, I mean, I think cocktails are a good example of how it can be beautiful, not top down, but you're working with like a gorgeous glass full of like beautiful liquid. I mean, right. and also food is plated for you to look at it top down. Right. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, it, it, it's it totally tough. Is. Yeah. It's tough. A cocktail you like pick up and you look at it and you hold it in your hand and like it, you're looking at it from the side. Food is like you're sitting down and it's put in front of you. That's why it's going to be the best. Right. And, and those photos I think are always really compelling shots, especially, oh, yeah. especially, you know, the crowded table. And oh the, yeah. When you fan and, it out. And you have the hands come in. I, I, I don't fully understand. I, I'm curious about the moment where you know, the person stands up and is like, all right, everybody, hold on. Like, put your hand here, put your hand here. We're going to interrupt brunch for a second. How often do you take photos when you're eating? Oh, my gosh. I, I hate when, it so much. Do you not? I, I, I do. Because I feel like you got to have it up on, so, so you got to have it in, like, you know, for, like, that positioning of, like, I'm the L.A. food guy. Like, you got to have it in your social feeds and things like I, that. Yeah, I do. I mean... I, I, I will definitely shoot photos when I'm at a restaurant, but I, I get really self-conscious because oh, I, yeah. I, something about not being on assignment or not like doing it with a purpose, I, and I'm also lugging this camera around. Oh, because you're not just shooting on your phone. Usually not. Actually, I'm really bad with my phone. Oh, I, I, I like embarrassingly so. So you shoot on the camera, send it to yourself and like, look at this magic? Yeah. Yeah, it's That's, all, I mean, it's all That is not even fair. Lie. That's not I, fair. I, I can't even tell you. I post photos to Instagram that I've taken at a restaurant, like, weeks ago. Oh, and That's a good one not to get tracked, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah no one Just throw them off the trail. All right, well, Jacob, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Website, Instagram, how do people find uh, you? Instagram is uh, meetjacob. Uh, it's Jacob with a K. Uh, website's jacoblayman.com. And is it meet with an E or an A? With an E. Okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's uh, a good... This is a good pun in there. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we got Guru coming up live. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you. Next song is one of my favorites, Fletcher C. Johnson, Happy Birthday, live here on Snacky Tunes. Welcome back. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Uh, in studio today, uh, well, really in studio today, we have gurus. Uh, welcome all seven beautiful gurus into Heritage. The gurus are here. The Hello. gurus are here. Um, first and foremost, uh, who are the gurus? Gurus, we are a band from Brooklyn. I'm Michael. Let's go around the room. Yeah, let's take it around the room. I'm Jonathan. Thank you, work. I'm Steve, and I play saxophone. Um, ben, play bass. I'm Allison, I play Bucket. Uh, Brian, drum kit. Destiny, Bucket. Uh, did you go seven years trained Bucket player? Is that how it goes? It's about how long it takes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, any, uh, any tips for aspiring Bucket players? Or early missteps? <laughs> okay. 
Well, then, um, play hard. Play hard. Um, Invest in good buckets. Oh yeah, is there yeah. like? A, it, have you had like a bucket failure on stage? But yeah, well, we found these all black buckets, and they've, they've really changed our game. Yeah, well, like I mean, what's like an epic bucket failure that you've encountered? Completely falling off of a stand or cracking, uh, or when they get stuck together permanently. If you get different size buckets, they don't nest like Russian nesting dolls. Oh, I got it. And for transit, you want them to nest. These are all valuable tips. I mean, you you could be easy out like ten, twelve dollars per bucket. What's a what's a good bucket cost these days? Well, there's a really good deal on Uline. Uh, Let's put in a plug for Uline. Yeah, Uline, man. It's uh, about five dollars for five buckets. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's a really, really good deal. Yeah. So for aspiring street percussionists and others who need spackle buckets. There's like a real low barrier to entry into the bucket game. That's part of the idea of gurus and of street percussion in general and putting it on a stage. Yeah, let's let's talk about the ideals behind gurus because uh, there are many. Um, let's take with like what the gurus actually stands for. So gurus on its own is us. We are a group of gurus, right? Bringers of light. But then guru stands for the Gnostic Urban Reformation of Unconditional Surrender, which is the cult uh, about which the Guru's album and tells what, the story. And in, and we have a little bit of time, so we're going to get into this, but what is the cult of gurus? The cult, it's a collective. It's a group of, of individuals together in an urban setting bringing light enlightenment into the into the world and into our community and what type of enlightenment are you offering to uh, future and current members we preach mindfulness right and we believe in in community togetherness um, we believe in the ideals of street percussion right of like you said, it's a low barrier to entry. <laughs> Talk right? to me about the we marriage of mindfulness and street percussion and how do those two intersect? Okay. Um, a lot of what we do, it focuses on repetition, you mm-hmm. know? So there's a way, a trance-like quality to our, our music. And playing the street percussion, it's repetitive, right? We play the same beat and build around it and build by subtraction and addition. And so it requires a certain amount of, of attention just to the task in front of you. It's not, about, it's not about elaborate composition. It's about building from small parts. Um, let's hear a song. Let's, let's get a good example of this. Um, what are you going to play first? We're going to play a song called Believers. Okay.
Talk to me about unconditional surrender. Okay. <laughs> so, the idea of this is a lot of times we go through our life, we're trying to make decisions about the future, we're thinking about the past, we're caught up in a belief system that puts us at the center of the world, puts our technology at the center of our universe, the way we connect to other people through technology, what other people are doing, right? Where we are in, in that nexus. Unconditional surrender is about letting go of all that. Unconditional surrender is about surrendering absolutely to the power of community, to the power of being together, making something together, and shedding some of the really destructive tendencies around, you know, status and trying to achieve meaning in our world by how many likes we have on our our Instagram feed, how many how many likes we get, and the status we get from uh, from things that are not rich with meaning, right? I understand. Not uh, gaining any sense of value from things that are intangible or not actual things. That's right. So how did gurus, gurus grow into a seven-piece? Or how did you know that this was the right number um, for the band? The number chose us. We started out. We started out with just a few people. I put these songs together, built them from layers of buckets and other pieces of street percussion, scraps of metal, building on top of that. And when it came time to really develop the songs, it took the number of people it took to make the sound. And so, seven, it's been six, it's been eight, we've settled at seven and this feels good. You know, this makes the sound we need to make. And I know that right now we just have four buckets in the room, but what are some of the other percussion forms that you uh, use in the show? So, we have a piece of metal from a car, we have some some dishware that we've gotten at the dollar store, we have as you see, the um, trash can lid, we've had that piece since a much older incarnation, an old band called Rahim, it's the same trash can lid. Is it really? Yeah. I saw Rahim play when I first got here. What I got where? Uh, to New York. I remember, did you work on Current TV? That was my brother. That was your brother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was that venue on Rivington that doesn't exist anymore that you guys played at? Rothko. Yes. That's our side. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's amazing that it's traveled all the way uh, through all the band incarnations. And it's and a good sound. One more time. That's good. As Phil Sutton, its orig- original owner, said, it sounds better than a china. Oh, okay. Um, let's, <laughs> uh, let's hear another song. This one's called Man and Beast. Thank you. 
So your first single uh, out in January is the first song you played for us. Uh, how did uh, how did that come into being, or what is the songwriting process? I know it starts with you, but how does everybody else get layered in um, to the final the final song? The songs have come out a, a number of different ways. So I built a lot of them um, in a basic way, in a repetitive way, with loops, and uh, then I've brought the other players in you know i'll bring jonathan in to layer on textures with the synthesizer i'll bring in ben or um another bassist we've worked with chris who wrote a lot of the pieces on the record um so it's a process of layering steve will put on some of the noise on the saxophone or things he hears when he's when he's listening back to it. So it starts from, like I said, kind of a repetitive basis, and then we build on top of that. It's kind of amazing. I mean, it's almost instantly hypnotic, but the time, the, the length of the songs is... I mean, I feel like if you played that last one for 10 minutes, I would be like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Are you asking us to play that for 10 minutes? I mean, I think... I don't know what kind of time we have here. No, <laughs> no I'm just saying it, it seems like the way that it's like it does build on repetition and then edit it down to like a really interesting way of like a, a drone. Okay, we, we agree. We'll play it for 10 oh, minutes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. This is where it changed. But, I, but I'm wondering in like the editing process, like, like something of conscious of time length, um, especially with the idea of like no distractions and no kind of like outside influence, how that crafts like the type of and the length of the music that you're making. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I think a lot of these could go on and on. It's like you say, it has a sort of hypnotic um, or mystical quality and the drone of it kind of brings something out the longer you listen to it. At the same time, you know, to give too much of that like if you listen to certain George Harrison or (laughs) (laughs) we're more tomorrow never knows than late George Harrison. Fair enough. Right. It has to be something you can take with you. I think not to pander to a short attention span, but to make it something that, that you can use in your life. Yeah. I don't mean in the pandering of a short attention span. I think it's like, it's actually what drew me to the music is that you can achieve that in such like a, you would just put the record on repeat. As opposed to a song that, like, you know, dictates the, the length of time. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. Um, so what's, uh, what's coming up next? The single's coming out and then the record? Yeah, the single will come out in January, and we don't have a set date for the record, but we're going to do some shows around the single and take it from there. What is, like, an ideal uh, guru's fan, uh, <laughs> we can say, look like? And then uh, appreciate, and then uh, on their reading list. We can do it in any of those orders. <laughs> wow. I think we have to call everybody in for that. Yeah. What, what do they look like? Yeah, first one. So <laughs> they have wolf wolf fur, wolf whiskers, um, a leopard pelt. Help me out here. Reversible yeah. knees. Forearms. Their knees are bent backwards. Yeah, oh, I like that, yeah. Yeah. To borrow like from from, yeah. <laughs> that's right, hooves, cloven hooves. They don't have to be goat hooves, but goat hooves are preferred. Yeah. To borrow from Destiny, it's a chimeric creature. Okay. Um, I can't remember what my second question is, but what are they? Uh, what do they read? Or what? Or I'll, I'll change it. What is like necessary reading um, before attending your first Guru show? UnconditionalSurrender.org. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. The manifesto website is it's beautiful. Thank you. It's really well done. Thank you. We spent good time on that. Yeah. Usually, like, um, one interview, I was like, I can usually, like, digest it in a short amount of time, and I really had to, to dive uh, deep in that. I got kind of lost a little bit. Good. Yeah. So, so did I when I was making that. So yeah, I came back. Steve. It's nice to see that you came back from the hole. Yeah. You came back from the edge. Yeah. That's it's it's like the songs though. There are, there are a few simple things there, but they bear repeating. Yeah. So unconditionalsurrender.org is required reading. Um, we'll have a pamphlet coming out to accompany it. I'd recommend some Thomas Merton. Okay. For our listeners. Anybody That's else? What I'm reading now. I'd say anything by uh, Jeff Vandermeer. I'm. Oh, amazing! Uh, I have to second yeah. that. That took me for like a weird ten days. Last oh year, God. yeah. I just want to keep on reading it over and over again. That's really yeah, it's good. Um, I want to make sure we have time for one more song, and you can let this one fuzz out if you uh, Love if it. you so desire. But um, 
where can people find more information? Where can people join? Where can people uh, know about the single release, etc.? You can go to gurusmusic.com or unconditionalsurrender.org to learn about the music, gurus, and the philosophy, unconditional surrender. Okay. Well, uh, big thanks to uh, our guest today. Big shout out to Liz for sticking it out as well. Thanks, Liz. Appreciate it. Thank and you so much for having us. Yeah, here. thanks for uh, coming on in here. This is and that and the drum us can't cram from, in. No, this is great. I mean, it always it's always interesting to uh, see how far we can push the studio. And shout out to the trash can lid from Raheem. Didn't think I'd see that again in my life, but there it yes. is. Um, and what's the name of the last song? All around. Okay. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.